Hello, this is Abby Famartino, and today we'll be mapping eco-nutrition on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my old friend and colleague, Abby Famartino. Abby Famartino has worked in the field of food and health for over 15 years. Bon Appetit magazine celebrated her as a healthy dinner party diva for the fun and inclusive menus offered to all types of eaters at her former supper club, Abby's Table. She's authored two plant-forward cookbooks and strategically managed a healthy food program for Airbnb employees as senior food program manager. A recent Food and Climate Shaper Fellow of the United Nations FAO and Future Food Institute, Abby aims to further her impact through an MS in food systems and an MBA in sustainability leadership. Abby, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been a long time it and, has. you know, we can go way back <laughs> to different lives, many different lives ago. But today we're talking about eco-nutrition. I'm wondering if you could start us off by helping us to understand what that actually means. Sure. Eco-nutrition is a concept of considering your region, your bioregion, your locale, and the season as a way to guide toward a more climate-friendly eating model. I will also say it also includes looking at your own heritage and mm. maybe what your, you know, ancestors. Your ancestors were eating and and what that location was. So, for example, for me I'm, you know, Western European in heritage, Italian, Spanish, and so but I live in Portland, Oregon. So there may be some crossover in the way that I approach my diet from an eco-nutrition perspective to look at what is growing here in this region, what is in season, and also what might be inspired by what uh, my ancestors were eating and sort of this ancestral wisdom around seasonality and in influencing my diet. So I think one differentiator with this approach is rather than looking at food that is inherently healthy all the time, I think of something like blueberries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is centering your diet on foods that make sense at the particular time where you're living. So while blueberries are great, and fortunately I have a lot of them frozen from the summer season, I might be looking at different foods right now to supplement my health and to support both my, my personal like, individual health and also looking at the environmental health of this region or just my env the environmental impact of my diet choices. 
I love this. It really brings us into its own kind of matrix around food that we're thinking about human health, physiological health, individual health, but we're also thinking about the environment. We're thinking about economic and agricultural development. We're, we're thinking about food as a resource in a kind of expanded way. Do I have that right? That's right. Yeah. And I think even from looking at it from the mind, spirit, emotion, community aspect of it is looking at like, are we eating with any ritual? Are, are we eating with a, a ritual that makes sense for the season or for our location or for our, like, our ancestry? And I think that, that in a lot of cases when there's, there's an absence of eating with some type of ritual, celebrating the season of summer or you know, something similar like that, then I wonder just what the impact of that is over time to sort of eat without that. We've seen some of the impact on some indigenous cultures like the Inuit who come and eat a standard American diet and what happens sure. to their physiological systems when we kind of release our ancestral ways and even our connection to the land. Right. But I'm wondering how things like overpopulation impact our thoughts about eco-nutrition. Is that a part of what we might be thinking about in terms of food and sustainability? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that the more we can strengthen sort of regional food systems and, you know, acknowledge that our food system is also globalized and, and that that is not always a negative. Um, however, you can look at just sort of the impact on what that means. So for example, if we're, you know, taking a lot of a particular resource out of a far reaching country is that negatively impacting self-sufficiency there to support that population? Is the food that they're exporting too expensive for them to enjoy? You know, and, and are they neglecting to eat food that is from their bioregion in lieu of maybe adopting a more Western diet? And like you're saying, that's, that's happening more, I think, because of the spread of industrialized food systems. There's more of this homogeneity in terms of our diet. When in reality, I think it's really important to think about what things were like, you know, centuries ago when there was a lot more heterogeneity across the globe in terms of what people were eating from their region. And now, you know, looking at the fact that people pay, they pay a lot more in healthcare than they do for food in most places. Like in, in the US, the, right. the average of what people pay annually for healthcare is, you know, double what they're paying for food. And so there's something there, like you're saying, in terms of the impact of these kind of dietary changes. So if we think about food and both the land and the impact on the human body through this lens, and we consider organics, mm -hmm. for instance, does that come into play? And I mean, organic has been so commercialized these yep. days. And, and I don't yeah. even know if it is making a difference or if somehow we've gotten through loopholes mm -hmm. of what that even means. So what does that do both for the land and the body? And how does that come into the realm of thinking about eco-nutrition? Right. I think it does come into play. I think that, you know, when we, you know, organic and let's say something that's organic and comes from far away, so that is something that may be a part of our diet. And at the same time, even it may just be, it's a complicated question because of just, you know, there's so many dependencies, like you're saying, organic has become a lot more commercialized and there's barriers of entry to people who are farming the land in a very traditional, 
kind of regenerative way that are not um, able to access that label because of the right. costs and the regulations, right? So there's sort of been a, a push for the regulations to work in favor of these large organizations who are producing one monocrop, let's say organic spinach, when that land might be diversified and offer a ton of food for their region if farmed in a way that was more traditional and, and more authentic to how the people have been farming. You know, and honestly, not that long ago, in the early 1900s, the average farm in the United States was much more diversified with crops and animals and, you know, a range of different things that, that helped support the natural rhythm of the land. So I would say and from an eco-nutrition perspective, one way to consider how to do this well is to just understand your relationships of where the food is coming, which yes. if you shorten your food chains, your supply chains, by supporting at local farmers markets uh, or through CSAs, you're going to be naturally eating in season. You'll be building the relationships, which I think are really important to the farmers and understanding your environmental impact in an easier, more traceable way. And it's hard to trace the impact of the exact sort of cashew milk that you're eating, right. <laughs> you know, like that's just a far reaching. There's so many, there's so many layers to that. So I think in a more s simple way is looking at, you know, how you can help others look at shortening their supply chains and, and eating in season to support their body. Yeah. So many good points you brought up there in terms of biodiversity and the land and the health of the land and what we've sacrificed in essence to go with organic, right? Mm -hmm. That there's a sacrifice there. This makes me think a lot about how we define ethical choices mm -hmm. from an eco-nutrition perspective. And then who has access to even consider whether their choices are ethical? So can we talk first in the realm of eco-nutrition about what is ethical? Is it ethical not to eat animals or is it ethical right. to eat animals who are actually raised well? Like how do we right. put this into context? Yeah, I think there's so many layers, right? Like it's, and I think about, okay, well, where do I live? What what, you know, what animals are around here to, right. to eat, you know, and what, what would be traditional in, in my dietary heritage and what makes sense. So like one example, I think of a lot, people think, okay, this Mediterranean diet, this is a healthful model for consumption. And in, in some ways it is mainly because in that region for people who are part of the Mediterranean region, that is a very hyper-regionalized, hyper-seasonal local diet, right? That has historical meaning to that area. You can look at how to, I guess, extrapolate the parts of a Mediterranean diet for where your region is and look at that. So for here in the Northwest, for example, you know, we've had historically a lot of cattle, sheep, a lot of sort of wild foraged foods and things like that. So yes. I might look to, to support my diet as someone who's gone through, I've, I've been more vegan before. I do eat some meat now. I eat that meat through um, a family farm. Like I get a meat mm -hmm. delivery each month from a CSA and I, that is the meat that we consume as our family. So I think that in, in one way, I feel good about that from an ethical perspective, bringing sort of that question of ethics and eco-nutrition back to it, because I know that that farmer is practicing regenerative agriculture and that has a positive impact, a positive environmental impact in which it's working towards sequestering carbon it's working toward offering a more diversified model use of land in this region. So I feel good about that. If I'm going out to eat, I may not feel like 
as ethical around eating meat, um, where I don't, I don't know, you know, the impact of doing so. Um, and I, I think, right. you know, there doesn't need to be extremes, but I guess one way to look at it from an ethical perspective is also like using the most of precious resources that you are using. So be it, you know, really looking at full circle use, full cycle use of meat. So using the bones to make stock, really looking at the way that you can get the most out of what you're using, even from not meat, coffee grounds, banana peels, um, things right. that you're using, like, are there other uses for them? I've been seeing a bunch of recipes for using banana peels, actually, that I haven't tried yet. But, you know, looking at how can we value the the precious resources that we use, I think that's an aspect of eco-nutrition is looking through the lens of eating with the climate and environment in mind, as well as sort of your your season and region. And does it extend further into like how we might compost mm -hmm. and feed back the yeah. land and really think more cyclically? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it can be interpreted in a different way, but we're looking at how we can maybe look backward to look forward. So, you know, looking at like, what did, you know, my ancestors do or related to this? And were there ways that they're across the globe that, you know, that one of the most valuable things that we can learn about how things used to be done is just using the most of all of our resources. And that's a way that we can be more forward minded as we approach more food and climate related challenges that are to come. And I think that looking at the way that we can compost, sort of make the most of our home environments, be it through gardens and local relationships, neighborhood farmers markets, things like that, all of those things make a difference. And I think that that's, it's a good, maybe easy place to start is just look at how can we make the most of the resources that we're using. I love that. So final question for you, Abby, in talking to clinicians as you are right now, what can we do to start to inspire our clients and patients to be adopting some of this way of thinking? Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, looking, maybe inspiring them to dig into what their ancestry might offer in terms of mm. some wisdom for mm -hmm. their diet and then looking at the region that they're living in. And again, I think people want a catch-all answer. What are the healthy foods I should eat? And it may not be, there may be more questions to be answered before that and looking at, so where are you living, um, you know, and what, in what season do things grow where you live? And then I think also maybe figuring out a way to, I think it's always important to make this fun and inspiring, but looking at how to help people feel more personally responsible for their community and like planetary health looking now and for years to come and the way that their diet can relate to that. And while that can seem really lofty, maybe it is just looking at, okay, well, you know, how are the, some of the food choices you're making? Maybe they could be more affordable if you're having them closer to home or you're buying things in season, there could be some aspect to inspire a positive change using that framework. Or it might just be maybe an inspiration to really look at, you know, what the region has to offer 
what their ancestral wisdom has to offer. I love that because it leads us to a deeper conversation and exploration, which may actually inspire and motivate that Mm -hmm. client or patient around their food choices, especially going back to that ancestry. Mm -hmm. What did your grandparents eat? What do you remember? I love this, Abby. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing with us today and for the work that you're continuing to do in the world. Thank you. Thanks so much for hosting me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.